the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt, and welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Always glad that you're joining me today. And I'm going to throw out this title for you, and it is quite a heavy title, but it is called, this show is The Overlooked and Insidious Issues Undermining the Most Promising Marriages. And so today we are going to look at these overlooked issues, and they are very insidious issues because they just undermine, just like termites, and they're not always obvious, and they're many times hard to see, and so they're very conceptual in nature. So I think they're going to be very powerful and very helpful as we look at this because we know that the enemy wants to tear apart marriages. He wants to undermine marriages. He wants us to just throw marriage away as as if the idea of, of the marriage institution is the problem in the relationship. And if we just don't get married, that somehow our relationships will magically work because we didn't get married. Where what we know that God desires is that commitment, that oneness, that change and transformation that comes with really participating in that type of a relationship, which is different than any other relationship on the planet. The marriage that you choose to to participate in, you choosing that person is different than any other relationship that you will have on the earth. And it is the most similar that we will have with God. That, that That is the most similar relationship to the one we have with God. And so it's very powerful, very heavy. And it really requires commitment, insight, understanding, grace, peace, love, unconditional approval and acceptance, all those types of things that are so difficult to give. And, and those conceptual words, I'm hoping we can make them real for you today so that you can kind of get some idea about what is going on in your marriage instead of just looking at it at face value as well, it's just a communication problem. I can't tell you how many times I have uh, clients that come to me and their number one issue that they say in their marriage is communication. And so it does end up being communication, but that really isn't the impetus of it because we are all you know, generally very intelligent people and we all speak the same language. And so we should be able to appropriately and authentically and, and successfully communicate. So, Looking at these concepts today, I think is going to be very helpful. And, and, and the first one that I want to address that happens initially, that sets a platform of, 
of undermining your marriage is marrying a person because you like who they are. Now, I know that sounds kind of strange, but I want you to understand that, that the problem is people change, and you need to plan on that. And they're supposed to change, and we're supposed to work toward changing. And so what we find in marriages is that as, we, as the two become one, as we, get, we begin to interweave our lives together, and we begin to interact, and a lot of our woundedness comes out, Sometimes we affect that person in a way that causes them to change negatively. And we end up not liking the person that we originally were liking. And we find that the closer the proximity emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, physically that we have, the more it exposes the things that need to change. And so we start to think that, oh, this isn't the person I married. This isn't the person I like. I can't stand this person. And so what we really want to think about when we're marrying someone is it's not about who they are in that moment per se, but I really want you to focus on, is the person I'm marrying determined, committed to becoming who God has called them to be? Because generally what we see when we're dating and the thing that attracts us enough to marry that person is the foreshadowing of who God is is going to cause them to be. And if they're willing to work at that and be committed to that, they truly come into their own. And that is what the marriage of, of, that we have with Christ is about, is me transforming and becoming who he has originally created me to be. And so marriage with a human is one of the ways that God furthers that work. So what we want to think about is, if I'm attracted to that person initially, and there were those things, those qualities, those behaviors, that feeling I got that's probably closer to the person that God is really working on getting them to be all the time, not just when they show up for the date, but in the darkest moment. And so what we want to be focusing on more than who they are in any given moment is who they are becoming. And are they willing to continue to be a person that is becoming? And that lifetime we spend with them is joining with them in that process. And so I think one of the most important questions that we ask ourselves is, do I trust the heart of the person I love, even when I'm not trusting what I see in front of me? Do I know who they are, even if what they're doing, how they're acting, what they sound like, doesn't seem anything like them at all? We know we all have bad seasons. We know we all struggle. And so Is my spouse aware of their own brokenness? And am I giving them a space in this relationship that is loving and gracious and forgiving for them to acknowledge their brokenness, for them to look at their brokenness? Or do they need to hide their brokenness from me? Because if I'm setting up the the way you relate to me in a way that causes you to have to hide your brokenness from me, then I will get all kinds of what we call maladaptive coping skills, and I will get dishonesty. And it won't necessarily be dishonesty because of a character issue, like they're somehow diabolical and narcissistic or a sociopath. It will be dishonesty out of fear, out of protection. And what we want is the marriage to be the place that is protecting each of us from the world, not from each other. And I can't tell you how frequently I'm talking to clients 
and couples, and I say to them, you're setting this up so that he has to protect himself from you. Or I say to the husband, she needs to protect herself from you. You are not going to like the version of her when she has to protect herself from you. So what we want to think about is, who can they become? Who are they becoming? Who is God destining them to become? What are they striving for? And if they're striving for anything other than to be who they are when we met them. And we want to be supporting that process so that we step back. We have a 10-foot or 9,000-foot perspective on our spouse. And we say, are they just a struggling, broken person like me who's probably doing the best that they can? Or are they truly a narcissist and a diabolical psychopath? Well, the truth is, there are some psychopaths, sociopaths, narcissists that are out there, but they are rare. And it's imperative that we believe that they are rare. And I can tell you I've been in private practice for 26 years. They are rare. They are not the norm. Now, when people are are struggling, when they're afraid, when they're wounded, when they're cornered, they can come out looking really psychopathic sometimes. And we have to say to ourselves, do I know this person or not? Even if they're not looking like who I thought they were. What is the circumstance that they're in telling me? How are they feeling? What are their fears? What are their worries? Why are they defensive with me? What can I do to change the space that we're in? What can I do to change the environment, the emotional environment of our relationship? What can I do to be more Christ-like? And I'm not talking about it in a legalistic manner. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus is my friend. He comes alongside me. He knows everything about me, sees everything I do, knows everything I think, still accepts me, and still loves me. Now, he is God, and he is much better able to handle the pain that I inflict on him because of my brokenness. But if you have Jesus in you and I have Jesus in me, that's who needs to show up for that interaction with her spouse. I need to ask the Lord to help me love that person the way they need to be loved. And that many times means that I need to put some of my needs aside. And I'm not talking about all the time. This is not being married to a three-year-old. That, that's a whole different problem. I'm talking about another struggling, broken, scared, hurt, nervous, upset human. And that we want to make sure that we're being careful to not take that person personally. Well, what's another one that really undermines very promising marriages? Well, that may be the idea that um, we have gotten married because we don't want to be lonely. And I believe that marriages should help us not be lonely. But I need you to know that being alive means being lonely. It's the human condition. We are born alone. We die alone. We live inside of ourselves alone unless we have asked God to live within us. So marriage cannot make us completely unlonely. And we cannot blame our partner for doing something wrong or go searching for companionship someplace else. Marriage is a, t- a place intended to, where two humans share the experience of loneliness together. We grow up and realize that we are alone. In our life, we are doing our life alone with people. 
And so we put an undue amount of pressure on a marriage when we think that that person is supposed to cause us to not feel lonely. Now, if we are abandoned, emotionally abandoned in our relationship, of course, it is horrible to be lonely in a marriage. But we go back to asking ourselves, how much control do I have over that? What am I doing in this marriage? What is it like to be married to me? Would I want to be around me? Would I want to talk to me? Would I feel comfortable around me? Because that has everything to do with how lonely I may or may not feel. So marriage is doing life with someone versus doing it together, doing a life together. It is doing my life with someone which makes a life together instead of not doing my life and doing marriage. And see, there are many together moments, but the most precious thing that Christ offers us is companionship, a friend while I do my life. He walks with me as I do my life. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again in the next segment. Also visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and we are going to continue talking about the insidious, overlooked issues that undermine marriages. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. You are listening to 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk Radio. And we are talking today about overlooked, insidious issues that undermine marriages. And these are very conceptual in nature, kind of ambiguous, but I'm hoping to make it more practical for you. And so I want to make sure that you know you can listen to this show uh, on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com if you are not able to listen to the entire show. So we left off with this second issue that really undermines, that overlooks, that that we overlook when we're looking at what's going wrong in a marriage. And that is this idea that I'm getting married so I don't have to be lonely. So we talked about this idea that being alive is being lonely, that we are all alone. We are alone inside of ourselves. Nobody else lives in me except Jesus, and that's only if I have asked him. So we are doing our lives with someone, and many times what happens in marriages is that we abdicate that. We let go of our life, and we do our marriage, and we forget that we have our own life that we are living, that we are going to be accountable to God for, that I will be standing before God, and he will be talking to me about my life one of the aspects of my life will be my marriage and how I did my marriage. But he will still be talking to me about my life. And we put an undue amount of pressure on a marriage when we think that our marriage is our life. And we don't have one separate from that. And we put all the expectation on the marriage to make me happy and to meet all of my needs instead of recognizing that I'm a grown adult. There's a lot of those needs I'm meeting on my own, which then take pressure off the marriage because then I only expect from the marriage what a marriage can do. I don't expect the marriage to do my life and to meet all of my needs and to make me happy. Now, certainly my marriage significantly impacts me and affects me. And I have had a previous marriage that was very, very painful and emotionally abusive. And it impacted my life dramatically. 
but I was still responsible for the life that I lived while I was married. So it's imperative that we recognize that the companionship of marriage means I get to, quote-unquote, do, do my life with someone else, not alone. So I do my life with somebody. They cheer me on, support me, encourage me, offer me feedback, love me maybe when no one else does, tell me things no one else can if I let them. But they can't and shouldn't try to do my life, and nor should I toss my life or leave my life for my marriage. My marriage cannot be my life. So I hope that that gives you some perspective on really having realistic expectations on the marriage union and what the marriage union is intended to do. And so let's look at another one. And this is shame. And yes, we carry, we all carry it. And we spend the majority of our adolescence and early adulthood trying to pretend our shame doesn't exist when the person that we love triggers it in us. And so we will then blame them for creating it. Like, I feel bad about myself because I'm around you. Every time I'm around you, I don't like myself. And so we come to merit with this aching need to be just treated gently or to have our worthiness affirmed. We want to be, we want to have all this freedom and space within the relationship. And I'm all, I'm all for that. There's a lot of, of there's a lot of wisdom in that. However, I have to remind myself that I come to the marriage with my own hurts and wounds that my spouse did not create. They are, therefore, they are not responsible for them. And even if they do create them, I still am responsible for them. And that's one of the hard truths about being an adult is that I am responsible for whatever happens to me. Even if it's not fair and even if I did nothing to ask for it. The same way that if I get in a car crash... And I am not at fault. I am still responsible to fix me and the car. The person can't do it. The person that crashed into me can't fix my car and can't fix me. Now, maybe they're responsible enough to give me the money I need to to fix it. But I still am responsible for every single thing that happens to me. It doesn't mean that I'm responsible in terms of I did it to myself. But I am responsible for my life. And so if I come into the marriage with unresolved woundedness, hurts, shame, and when we've talked in different shows about shame, we know that shame is different than guilt. And guilt is what tells me I did a bad thing. Shame is the thing that tells me I'm a bad person. Whenever we have unresolved shame, we have a lot of defensiveness, a lot of hiding, a lot of deception. Uh, We have lying. Uh, We have guardedness. We have oversensitivity. And that's one, those are some of the outcomes of shame. So I want to be really careful when I am struggling with shame that I recognize when it shows its its ugly head. Because we can protect our wounds with blame and contempt and bitterness and angry demands that that person be healing toward us. But we become enslaved to the wound and the cycle of that blame game. And so the freedom from the wound and the blame is only found in confession. Confession and exposure. And that's the hardest thing about shame, is that we don't want to confess anything that we've done that we're embarrassed about or that we're ashamed of. We don't want to to confess anything that's happened to us that it's embarrassing. And the whole point of healing from shame that brings freedom, the truth sets us free. 
And when we confess our sins one to another and pray for each other, we are healed. And that's in John. And I love that verse. Because when we have a safe person in a marriage that can handle our foibles, handle our character issues that we are working on, handle our past, and sees through it and sees who we really are and loves us for who we are becoming. There's nothing more powerful than that. And the enemy of our soul hates it, hates it with a vengeance because he has no weapon against that type of love. And that's the love that casts out all fear. So when we are really understanding how our shame shows up in our marriage, we are better able to heal from it, tackle it, and not hurt each other with it. And so we confess what we have done. We confess to ourselves, we confess to God, we confess to our partner. And the confession might really be more about exposure. It might mean that I need to say, you know, I'm struggling with the sexual part of our relationship because I didn't tell you what happened to me in college. Or I didn't tell you what I did before we got married with one of my partners. And I feel horribly guilty and disgusting and embarrassed about myself. Or I have this nasty little habit that I don't want to tell you about. I'm embarrassed because you won't love me and you'll, you'll, you'll think I'm disgusting. Or if I tell you about it, I might have to work on it and I don't want to work on it. And so shame is, is a huge bondage keeper. It keeps us in bondage and, and does not allow for freedom. And so what we want a marriage to be is similar to that relationship we have with Jesus, that Jesus knows everything, loves me in spite of it, and is working with me on it, and is standing beside me, and is forgiving me every day. And that's what we want to do in that relationship. We want to let that relationship be the safest place on the planet, that I'm a big enough person, I'm a grown-up person, and I can handle who you really are as you are becoming who God has intended you to be. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and we are at a hard break. Join me in the next half hour as we talk about these very overlooked, insidious issues that undermine our marriages. Visit me on uh, Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc., that's INC for Incorporated, and my website is CynthiaHyatt.com. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and you are listening to 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk Radio. And I always like to thank my amazing producer, Jeremy, who is so encouraging of me and does such a great job bringing me in and out of these segments. So always thank you. Yes. Well, we are really talking about some pretty heavy concepts, and they are these very overarching, uh, ambiguous concepts and issues that are insidious and are often overlooked in dealing with our marriages. Because I can't tell you how many times people come to my office for marriage counseling, couples counseling, and what they say to me is, well, we just have a communication problem. And I agree, they probably do have a communication problem. But that isn't really what's driving the problem. There's a whole bunch of issues that are creating this inability to be understood and so we talked about in the, the first half hour, we talked about these, these, um, these concepts. And, and the first one we talked about was really marrying somebody for who they are at that moment and thinking that's who they're always going to be and really understanding the importance of being with someone that is becoming 
and helping that person become who Christ has called them to be. And then we talked a lot about this, this idea or this myth that marriage is supposed to take away our loneliness and, and how dangerous it is to a marriage and the pressure it puts on a marriage if you are getting married to not be lonely. And so we really talked about the idea that being human is being lonely and understanding that I am alone inside of me unless I have Jesus living in me, and that's only if I asked him. And so it's imperative that we do not put that kind of pressure on our marriage, that our marriage is supposed to help us do life with someone. We don't stop doing our life to do our marriage. And then we also talked about shame. Oh, that nasty psychological problem of shame. And that is such the bondage keeper. And it keeps us in such bondage and it tells us that we're innately bad people. And it causes us to be very defensive, very oversensitive, controlling, fear-based, deceptive, uh, guarded. We have a tendency to misperceive a lot of things if we're dealing with, with shame. And so we really want to understand what shame is about, when it's operating, the difference between shame and guilt, and how we can create a space in our marriage to really let it be safe enough to heal from shame so that we can truly be known, truly be loved and accepted. Doesn't mean that I agree with everything that my husband does. Doesn't mean I necessarily want him to continue to do some of the things that he does. But he needs to feel initially accepted by me while he's working on those things, as he does for me. So let's talk about this next one. And that one is the issue of ego. And many times we kind of have uh, some misperceptions of ego. And Christians are always shocked and surprised when I say that Jesus had the strongest ego on the planet. And one of the ways that we know he had a strong ego is he was always an adult. He contained himself 99% of the time. And the only time he lost control of himself, which he didn't actually lose control, but he, he chose to really become aggressive was on other adults because they were harming weaker people. And so that's the only time Jesus ever, quote-unquote, lost control. So we know that self-control is an issue of a very strong ego because it means we can contain ourselves. We can contain our own offensiveness, our own defensiveness, our own frustration, our own hurt. We have the ability to suspend a lot of our needs we, we can handle criticism, we can handle being misunderstood, we can handle bis- being misperceived, and we don't act out in an inappropriate manner because of how terrible it might feel to be misperceived or misunderstood or hurt or offended. And so when we look at ego, we understand that ego is about being an adult, and ego is about containing. So when we have little children that are three and they have a meltdown, and they're discharging their feelings all over everybody. Or we have adolescents that are hormonal and trying to figure out who they are. And so they're slamming doors and storming around the house and screaming that they hate us. That is a weak ego. That's a fragile ego. That's something we need to protect. That's something we need to contain, that we need to help, we need to support. That's not what we want to do with adults. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have moments of feeling kind of fragile and having a weak ego. But it's our responsibility to maintain our own ego state so that we are not discharging our feelings on everybody else, blaming everyone for it, 
thinking that we should be allowed to have a meltdown at any moment because our feelings are so important and everybody else should just somehow deal with them. So it's imperative that we understand ego. An ego, when we see that in Christ, we also saw he never lost sight of the mission of why he was here. He fulfilled that. And his number one go-to person and resource was always his father. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment of the show as we talk about these overlooked, insidious issues that undermine our marriage. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you want a keynote speaker, you can always contact me through the website. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk Radio. And today, we are talking at length about several issues that are insidious and are often overlooked that are very undermining of our marriages and our most significant relationships. And so in the in the last uh, segment, I kind of gave you an overview of the first half hour, so I want to make sure that if you're just tuning in, to please look at the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and that is C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com, and all the podcasts are there. The most recent one will always be at the top of the list. So we left off in that last segment talking about ego, and that ego oftentimes gets very uh, defined very inappropriately and ineffectively. And so when we look at someone with a strong ego, what we find is that person can handle being misperceived. They can handle criticism. They can handle misunderstanding. They can even handle being offended and not be offensive back. They have certainly have self-control. They don't need to take their feelings out on people. Um, they're very uh, aware of how they are operating, how they are acting, what they are saying, what they are doing. And they also are able to give themselves time. So if they find themselves not handling themselves as well as they would like to, they're very willing to take time and say, I need to table this and talk about this later. Where we find out with little children, little children have to get everything done right in that moment. They can't move on to the next moment. And what I frequently am saying to adults is, we have, we have time. I mean, what else are we going to do while we're down here? We're going to work on ourselves. We're going to work on each other. We're going to work on being who God has called us to be. We're going to work on letting him change the world through us. That's what we're doing while we're down here. And so we have time. The only things that we have to do immediately are if, if someone's life is in danger. That means blood, broken bones, nobody's breathing, right? House is burning down. That we need to absolutely address in the moment immediately, and we cannot put it aside. Otherwise, an argument that I had with my husband in the morning, I really can just say, you know what, this is not going to be resolved by the time I need to leave from my office, so I'm going to have to talk to you later. And we can leave okay. We really can. Not happy, not super connected, but absolutely okay. Knowing that, you know, I, I'm not all exactly sure what's going on, but it's uncomfortable, and, and I'm going to be able to go to, and then I go to my office, and I work, and I focus on that, knowing that we have time and we can take care of it later. Now, if I don't have a strong ego, then I'm going to push it and push it and push it. I'm going to need to get it done right then so that I feel better. There's no we 
in a, in a weak ego. There's no we in that. So the we part is an adult that I can say, you know what, he, he's struggling just as much as I am, even though maybe I'm mad at him or upset with him or whatever it is. He's struggling just as much as I am, even if he's not showing it as much. So I need to recognize that I'm not the only one in the situation that's feeling poorly. There's more going on in here in this situation than just me and my needs and me pushing to get my need met, pushing to be understood, pushing to be validated, requiring an apology, requiring comfort, whatever that is. We need to recognize that ego is about maturity. And if we don't have our ego in check, we will ruin our marriages, ruin them. Because there is not an adult on the planet that can handle another three-year-old in an adult body. So when you think about a little three-year-old having a meltdown in the grocery store or on the airplane, how uncomfortable is that? Well, imagine that in an adult body. How uncomfortable is that? It can be very brutal and deadly sometimes. So it's imperative that we get our ego in check. And that we ask God for maturity. And maturity means many times going through the grief and loss process, which is another show for another day. So let's look at this one. Life is messy and marriage is life. So marriage is messy. And we need to accept the fact that we are dealing with a mistake-making person, which is me. My husband is dealing with a, with a mistake-making person, as well as all my clients, as well as my neighbors, as well as my family members, as well as the drivers on the road. They are dealing with me, a mistake-making person, which means that life is going to be messy. Now, I do everything in my power to not add to the mess of this world. But my process is going to be somewhat messy. So is my husband's, which means marriage is messy. And when we try to get ultra-controlling and domineering, or we abandon it entirely because it's too messy and we don't like it, and it's too complicated, what we're doing is we're, we're also walking out on ourselves. And so we want to really understand that, wow, these are two imperfect people coming together with a perfect God, even if we both don't have him, maybe one of us does, And that's the only perfect part of that marriage is God that is in it. And so we need to be having that grace. We need to have mercy. We need to have understanding. And we need to stop judging. That maybe my husband's mess is something, maybe I prefer my mess over his. And so I think my mess is better. Well, I really need to stop judging. Because who am I? Who am I? And we need to ask ourselves that repeatedly. I chose this person. And I believe that God has set me apart for this person. What does God have to tell me about my part in this mess? And what can I clean up? Which immediately and directly goes back to the ego state. Where am I in this? What can I do? What am I in control of? And what can I do to create a space that is healthier and safer for my spouse? So let's look at another one. And this is empathy. And you and I both know when we get our feelings hurt, it is very hard to be compassionate and to actually try to figure out how that other person is feeling. And that is what empathy is. Empathy is identifying with that person's feeling. Oh, I have a similar feeling to that. I may not know exactly how your feeling is, 
that I know what it feels like for me to be hurt, to be abandoned, to be lied to, to be forgotten, to be overlooked, to be criticized, to be misperceived, to be misunderstood. And so if I'm the one doing it to my spouse, I need to take a step back and say, you know, no matter how righteous I feel in what I'm doing, I know what it feels like to be him. And I know what it feels like maybe to be in his life. So maybe we don't have the same job or the same profession. Maybe we don't have the same physical struggles. But they can be similar. And so empathy is very, very important to happen in your relationship, regardless of what the offense is. And it very rarely, almost never happens simultaneously between two people. One person always needs to start it. And there's no guarantee of reciprocity. So it takes a risk. It's a sacrifice. But somebody has to start the empathy and the compassion and stopping the focus on self and saying, you know what, what's happening to my partner right now while we're arguing? What are they going through? And I can take care of me later. I have time. I have time. And so we love them anyway, and we take the empathy plunge. And we express compassion. So how about this one? We care more about our children than the one who helped us make them or the one that brought them to our life. And it's very easy in marriages to get very focused on children. We get a lot of different types of gratification from interacting with our children, and that is a one-up position, which means that we get to hide a lot of our foibles from our kids. And we don't have to face a lot of things because we are in a different position of power. And they need us. And so they may be more free in their willingness to love us. They may be more forgiving of us. They may have lower expectations of us. And they may actually be cuter when they're misbehaving and cuter when they're in pain. Maybe they're more attractive in their dysfunction than our adult counterpart. And so we have to be very careful that we are not suspending our marriage while we do our children, because that does not help our children. And study after study after study reveals the healthiest children, the ones with the best self-esteem, the ones with the best self-worth, the most confidence, the most ability to say no, are the ones that saw how much their parents liked each other first before liking the the child. The more you like each other, the more you enjoy each other, the more you love each other, the safer that child feels the better their behavior is going to be. We see this in the triune. Imagine what it would be like if we thought that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit argued and didn't like each other. And what if they wanted to get a divorce? How would that affect our faith? See, we we depend on the fact that they are three in one and that they are like-minded, even if they operate differently. And that there is a love between the three of them a congruency, and and an absolute 100% commitment, and that they each have each other's back. And it gives us tremendous security. So it's really important that your marriage is never less important than your children. Because they will sense it, and they will drive wedges. 
And if they're less important, they will act out until they are given priority. And they will feel it. And so it's an ongoing work of finding balance. How about this one, this last one? We don't know how to maintain interest in one thing or one person anymore. So we we live in this world that's pulling us apart all the time. I tell couples, every time you walk out of your house, the world is trying to pull you apart from your spouse. And it's important that you understand that we are to have interests outside of our marriage, obviously, because we have our own life, but that our marriage absolutely is a priority. And we need to be really making sure that when we are distracted over and over and over again, that we are coming back to a center. That we are coming back to the center of who we are, why God has us, what the plan is, what the purpose, what the overall picture is that God has for us and why we are here. And that our number one relationship is always Jesus Christ. And when I am focusing on that, I will know it if, if that focus is appropriate because the people in my life, their lives will be changed. If I'm doing my spirituality appropriately, the effect I have on the world will be so powerful. And the effect that I have on, on the people at my job, my children, my neighbors, the drivers on the highway, the people at the grocery store, that the number one focus that always will help any marriage in trouble is God, help me see me, tell the truth to me, bring truth to the innermost parts of me, help me to commit to my relationship with you first and foremost, so I'm getting the majority of my needs, my self-worth needs from you, so that my ego is in check, so that when I go to love my imperfect spouse, I am truly seeing them through your eyes, and I am having the compassion of Christ. On them. And God, that I can trust you, that you are working on them. And it is your full time job, and that you are not unrelenting, and that you will continue to relent. So I hope this has been helpful for you. And I want to encourage you again to um, visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and that is C I N T H I A H I E T T. Also, my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. That's INC for Incorporated. Lots of inspiring, motivating things that you'll get on that page. Also, wherever I'm speaking or singing. And if you are in need of a keynote speaker for your organization or church, please contact me. I can tailor make a um, presentation for whatever your needs are. Again, have a blessed week. Thanks for joining me. And inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.